This is Back to Excitement with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 119. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how you been, Fooliman? It's been a while. Uh, I've been okay. Uh, I mean, there is a crippling world plague, and we're witnessing the collapse of American democracy. But beyond that, I'm good, you know, on a personal level. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same. that's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's... let's uh indulge in some uh, escapism for the next yeah. however long before we have to confront the real world again and hopefully our you know we can allow the same for our listeners yes, um so there, there's kind of two things we want to discuss today and we'll start with the the less important of the two which is that the Stanley cup finals are happening so some team might win a cup or something i don't know they're they're having some sort of trophy contest but i'm damned if i know what it is or why yeah so um I was hoping Tampa would win yesterday so we could like just kind of talk about the f- cup finals entirely, but uh, Dallas won. So mm-hmm. it's 3-2 Tampa. Um, it, it's been actually a relatively even series. Like I think everyone mm-hmm. kind of feels Tampa is the better team, but it's not like they're completely blowing the stars away. No. Um, t- I would say it seems like t- Dallas has faded for stretches where they like they get hemmed in and they just don't get shots on goal for like 15, 20 minutes. But on the whole, Dallas has done a pretty good job with shot quality, it seems like. And so it's close by most measurements, as you'd expect. It's the 3-2 series. And so, you know, Dallas could certainly win. I don't think they're the better team. I don't think Dallas is a top four team in the NHL. Like, I don't believe that. And I'm very skeptical as to claims that they are. But I think that they're a good team. Yeah, and they sometimes were... if you're a good team, you can surge. They were they were they top they were in and around the top five in the league in in XG percentage I think year, year round, and it, it's it's more tilted towards defense when, mm-hmm. right and they were kind of very famously playing this quite limiting style on on their stars, uh, or it, at least it appears that way or their stars have maybe just declined. Yeah, but, probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think you know they're they're certainly a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done well in the playoffs, and that's that's all you really need, right? And, and that might be instructive for kind of what we're going to discuss in the more important side of things, which is obviously more, more <laughs> Leaf-related. Um, I think we're both rooting for Tampa, in part because, you know, we know and like Allen. He's a, mm-hmm. a Tampa fan. I don't think I know any Stars fans. Um, not That's not like a dig, like, oh, Stars fans don't exist or whatever. It's just I don't particularly know any of them. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice to see... The team that I think is the best team that has been probably the NHL's best team over the past five years be rewarded. Yeah, I think always watching hockey, you have in the back of your head that, you know, hey, this is basically a slot machine. And there's a lot of randomness and it's at best weighted randomness, but like shit happens. And so you can be excellently, terrifically good several years in in a row and not win. And Tampa has been in that position. And so I would like them to win just because it accords with my moral notion of what justice in the hockey universe looks like. But, you know, if and Dallas also, wins, if, that's fine, too. I don't... Yeah, but also if know. Tampa wins and you squint and, you know, have maybe three or four weed gummies beforehand, you can really <laughs> pretend it's the Leafs. <laughs> we should actually call the Toronto Maple Leafs that. There's like the stoned on edibles Tampa Bay Lightning. That's what they are. 
Um, especially in the defensive zone. So, yeah, I think that that's all legitimate. But, but again, you know, Dallas is here. I don't mean to sell them short, on the other hand, or say that they're, you know, bad or unworthy. It's just Did that they I be think per- they've been a little lucky and a yeah, little hot. They, but they'd be a perfectly, like, respectable cup winner. Yeah. You know, like, if, if Montreal got hot and won this year... They would deserve it in the sense that they did what they needed to do to win the cup. And, you know, those are the rules. They played by them. They would have won. But it would be a bit of a joke, I think, to the point where it's like, okay, you know, to the point where it would, it would kind of make me question the sport in a way. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. what's the point of the sport where a team that over 60 games or whatever has proven to be not very good or has, mm-hmm. you know, not had very good results. And then it's, we're just saying, okay, that doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Right? Like, what, what's the point? Um, I mean, if I were an analytic-minded Habs fan, I would say, hey, they dominated possession up and oh, down. Which yeah, is true, but they've, yeah. also had, they've also done that for, like, basically since Julian was there, and they've... Oh, yeah. They don't have good finishers, and, you know, it, like, it, it's not... I guess maybe the Blackhawks would have been a better example than the Habs, actually, because the Blackhawks were just genuinely bad, whereas the Habs had something about them, even though the results weren't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, you like seeing... You know, it's, hockey's an entertainment product at the, end of the, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, And all entertainment products and all sports have to kind of walk the line between being um, something where they reward good teams, right? And there, there's a genuine feeling among fans that, oh, if, you know, if we're smart and we're good, we can, we can win. And that we, you know, and we will deserve to win and good things will happen to good people in, so, in that sense. Or, or smart people, at least. Um. <laughs> And the fact that we don't want outcomes to be predetermined, right? Like we don't, we don't want to, we don't want a, a situation where it's like, okay, well, the seventh XG team is facing the thirteenth XG team, so the seventh XG team has like a ninety-four percent chance of winning. Yeah, and right? hockey, I think, tends to skew in the direction of randomness, not as badly as baseball, which, just as an aside, is going to be kind of a gong show because they've opened their playoff field up enormously. And pretty much anyone can win a playoff series against anyone else in baseball. Because it's so random. So, that'll be fun. But, yeah, I mean, hockey, every year we see maybe less deserving teams. And I know deserving got nothing to do with it. But maybe less deserving teams kind of cut a path through the playoffs for a little bit. And then, often, sooner or later, the clock strikes midnight on them. And then they go back to being not that great. But yeah, it, uh, again, Dallas is probably in that I mentally divide the league into fifths, right? Sort of approximately one to six, seven to 12. And mentally, I class Dallas in that second bin where they're not among the best, but they're good. And they don't need that much of a surge to kind of jump up into the top table and pretend like they're the best for a little bit. And you can make an argument that they're that they're fifth. Like there's only Yeah, you can. The, the the four teams that I think are kind of were were clearly better, or at least who I would have favored at the, uh, if they played um if they played them in a playoff series, and in fact they did play two of them and they beat them. Mm-hmm. Um are are Vegas, Colorado, Tampa and Boston. Yeah. Right? And and they beat Colorado and uh Vegas. And if they win, they'll beat Tampa. So exactly. you can say, so, like, maybe proof's in the pudding, but I don't I mean, Well, the, the Vegas win was, was very goaltending-based, was it not? Yeah, well, and I mean, the Colorado thing, they were playing their third stringer. It was our old friend Michael Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. And Hutchinson masqueraded as a good goalie for two games, and then he kind of imploded in the third, in the, well, 
his third, the game seven of the series. So I, I'm not saying that that means that Dallas didn't win. I'm just saying, if you ask me to evaluate who do you think is the better team, those series results don't really displace Colorado and Vegas in my mind. But, but again, this is maybe the big takeaway from the cup finals is that almost all you can do in hockey is just be really good for an extended period and keep showing up. And Tampa has done that. And maybe it's about to pay off. Washington did it for years and went unrewarded. San Jose did it for an even longer stretch and never got the cup. And and now it looks like, you know, the chickens have finally come home to roost with, with, with San Jose where it's disastrous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, teams can turn things around quickly, but they have a lot of money to a lot of guys who are pretty old and a lot of them aren't very good anymore either. Yeah. Uh, Just now that we've referenced how disastrously players can age, that's a fun setup for the next segment when we get to it. uh, Let's look at Exhibit A for a team that is that looks to be in a really tough position because they committed big money to a 30 year old defenseman. What Anyways, idiots. We would in this never essay, do that. I would explain why the Leafs should sign Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> a seamless segue. Uh, yeah, so do you want to ride from the, the Cup Finals into that? Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock as a Leafs fan, there's been a lot of buzz about Alex Petrangelo. Um, and it does seem like St. Louis is saying, you know, Thanks, but no thanks. Like, thanks for your service, but we don't want to commit to what your next contract will be, which is uh, quite understandable from their perspective. Um, Petrangelo is annoyed, which is quite understandable from his perspective. And he and or his agent are, you know, strategically leaking things about, oh, you know, you know if we're interested in Toronto, we're interested in Florida, we're interested in whoever else. Um, and they're going to do what they can to get a large payday for Petrangelo as they should. Mm-hmm. And the question is, um, should the Leafs make a real effort to do so with the $3 of cap space that they have? Yeah. And so just as an aside, it is really notable to me, the uh, almost contempt, frankly, with which they've treated these negotiations on the part of the St. Louis Blues. Like, first of all, they got Justin Falk, who's a much inferior defenseman, but who plays the right side. And they traded for him before the start of this season, way back before COVID and all, way back in the past. And then they gave him a fat extension that ate up a lot of what would have been Petrangelo's money. Now, I'm not saying that they can't afford to sign him to a contract, but that put the squeeze on. And it was a fascinating move to do when you were technically in a position to negotiate with your cup-winning captain. And... Now they've come at into the negotiation and they're throwing around numbers like 8x8, which is less than Petrangelo can probably get on the open market, but is not unreasonable. But they're saying, we don't want to give you a no-move clause because we don't do that. And we don't want to tell you how the deal is going to be structured. You just have to agree to it. We're not going to make commitments in terms of signing bonuses or anything like that. That's an insane way to operate. Like, you can't negotiate a contract where I say, okay, and by the way, two of the biggest things that are going to be at issue in this negotiation, we're just not allowed to talk about. And I know that it has been St. Louis's practice not to give out big signing bonuses, not to give out no movement clauses, but approaching this negotiation that way 
makes it seem a lot as if they don't care that much if Petrangelo walks. They seem yeah. pretty at peace with the possibility, and now, as we've seen, negotiations have broken down. And that makes sense from their perspective, too, right? It, 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 it's almost like an offer so they can say, hey, we tried. And, yes. you know, they don't want Petrangelo's decline years, which I think is a reasonable hockey decision to make, especially for a team whose biggest problem is, you know, we have one forward who can score and he's hurt. Yeah. And, you know, they can say, look, uh, we've got Colton Pareko on the way up. Or, well, the way up is overstating it because he's not as young as I'm making him sound like there. But he's younger and he's very good. And we're locked into him. We're committed to Justin Falk, which is stupid, but we've done it now. So we just have to live with it. And maybe now they're thinking it's time to transition from the older Blues that kind of came together and won the Cup as a veteran team to a new, shinier, younger version of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, yeah. And again, as you say, that that is logically defensible. It's just a remarkable level of coldness with which to treat the captain who finally got you to the promised land. I'm just surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, if for no I, other reason than endowment bias, because he was your guy and he's really good. But, okay. I saw the Falk acquisition and signing being described as a, a self-fulfilling insurance profi- uh, policy. <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful turn of phrase. And very accurate. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Oh man, I've never heard that one before. I gotta write that down. That's good. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, there's a couple things to break down from the Leafs' perspective. And the first is, um, does Alex Petrangelo help the team? And the answer to that is very simple. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and so, like, sorry. Go ahead. Well, the 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 crux of it is that Alex Petrangelo over the past five years has been, by pretty much any measure, one of the five to ten best defensemen in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays a position of need for the Leafs. He would immediately step in and play 25 minutes a night on the top pairing, push everyone else down, right? So now you're, now you're not relying on Justin Hall for 22 minutes a night. He can play, like, 18 or whatever. Not not 18. He'll still play 20 minutes. But, like, you know, you, you're, you're pushing everyone down a little bit. You're letting them uh, go into roles they're more successful in. Riley's no longer the alpha and omega of your uh, defense core. He can, you know, he has a bit less pressure on him with Petrangelo there. It, 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 from, a, from a roster perspective, if there's no salary cap, if um, we're optimizing for next year only, then signing Petrangelo is a no-brainer, right? Because he will make our team way better. You, you know, you're, you're looking at the Leafs and you're thinking, okay, how can they make the jump into being a contender? And the biggest thing is, well, they can improve their right defense and um if they could do that without losing any assets directly then that's great now the problem is they will have to lose assets because it is a cap league right Right. so it's not really can we sign petrangelo it's are we willing to get rid of basically all the depth on our roster we have to trade kerfoot and Janssen for essentially nothing um possibly angle can keep anderson can keep riley We'll have to likely run, if we do so, we'll likely have to run a, a roster that is basically only 20 people. That might be mitigated by whatever return to play protocols the Leafs or the league comes up with where you're allowed a taxi squad or whatever. So maybe running a short roster isn't a problem. But, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have to gut your depth no matter what. And yeah. is the uplift of Petrangelo worth more than, you know, the presumed downgrade from Kerfoot and Janssen to... Um, Random depth guy slash Marley. 
in each I think of those it is positions. worth noting that you don't necessarily have to drop both of Kerfoot and Janssen if you save money in net by downgrading Anderson to a goalie who makes about half as much against the salary cap. So just that there's more than one way to approach it. Yes. Um, or obviously, you know, the big ticket thing is to trade Nylander or Marner for some immense return. I think mostly fans are understandably leery of that, so am I. You know, part of the reason you're adding Petrangelo is that you think that this core is potentially really good. Uh, recent eliminations be damned. And so removing a core piece to add a core piece feels a bit robbing Peter to pay Paul-ish. But... Yeah, I mean, there are a few ways to go about it, but you get thinner. Unquestionably, you do. And I just want to preface this by saying, I think that a lot of the conversation on the whole internet, for sure, but also on Leafs Twitter, is to kind of sarcastically treat the opposing side as if they're idiots. Like, I see a lot of commentary where it's like, on the one hand... uh, Oh, gee, the Leafs have been looking for a great right-handed defenseman since forever. One finally comes to market, but we're not going to pass him because we have to keep Pierre Engvall. And then the other side will say, oh, okay, we have a great young core. They're still mostly 25 and under for the big three. Uh, Why don't we just ship them out so that we can sign the 30s of a already (laughs) maybe possibly declining defenseman who his primary team doesn't want? I don't think that the answer is that obvious in either direction. And so the takeaway from this for me would just be like, you don't have to think that the other people are being stupid. This is a difficult decision. I don't think it's a gimme either way. So I, I hope that maybe that'll illuminate what we're trying to, to get. Yeah, I mean, th- go this forward. goes to one of the things you, I think we did a podcast about like our pet peeves. And one, I think one of yours was like mm-hmm. pretending GMs are complete morons when evaluating their decisions yeah and to be like every now and then i'm like okay no that was really stupid but like it's a it's a hard job uh and you should be approaching it from the idea of at least they probably had a reason and you know now that chia and rutherford are uh, sorry chia and talon are gone rutherford is like the only guy who routinely does stuff that i find nuts so (laughs) yeah um so that's kind of setting the table for the Petrangelo decision. He's very good. Position of need. Would require a lot of unloading of salary. How easy or difficult it's going to be to unload salary, I don't know. We're seeing teams pay pick prices to get rid of big tickets. Uh, last night, the Rangers cleared one year of Mark Stahl, is all he had left, at 5.7 against the cap. Um, and they paid a second to do it to Detroit. I'm hoping Janssen is not so shot of value that he's a pure cap dump. But I can't say that I expect a significant return on him anymore. Yeah, I mean, so there was some news that came out during the intermission yesterday where Freeman said, essentially, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, so I might get some of the details wrong, but the core will be correct. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that New Jersey is willing to trade one of their lower first-round picks. I believe they have, they have like one in the top 10 or abouts, and then they have 18 and 20, I think. Um, they're willing to trade one of their later picks, so I guess 18 or 20 let's say 20, just to be conservative, for a, a roster player under the age of 26 with years of team control. Now, Janssen satisfies all of those, but if they don't think Andreas Janssen is any good, then they're not going to be interested in that, right? And I think Janssen's probably about a league average left winger mm-hmm. uh, who gets paid around a league average left wing rate. You know, he's an, he's a fine deal. He's not 
you're not happy or sad about it necessarily. Um, but he's coming off a poor year, right? Yes. A year where he, he got injured, where he was below what he showed in prior years. So, Yeah, it is worth noting insofar as this is relevant because a lot of teams are now confronting internal financial budgets. Uh, Andreas Janssen does make somewhat less than his paper cap hit going forward. It's uh, 2.6 in actual salary the next couple of years. Or, well, now that he's paid his signing bonus this year, it'll be 2.6 the rest of the way this year, and then 2.6 each of the next two, but with modest bonuses. Um, that's against a 3.4 million cap hit. So maybe that makes him a little more appealing for a team that isn't that dialed in to the you know, salary cap right now and is more concerned about how much money they actually have on hand. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so almost any... Uh, way of going about this where you're getting Petrangelo, a precondition is that you unload Janssen to somebody. Every version of this I've ever seen, he's the guy who definitely moves, I guess because Leaf fans don't really want him anymore that much. But also because you've got to cut fat somewhere, and that's one of the few places where you're not also cutting muscle, to a large extent. Um, and then Kerfoot. The thing is, is that when you unload Kerfoot... You better have a backup plan for third line center. And I don't want to hear Evan Rodriguez. So. What about Adam Brooks, though? Oh, yeah. No, definitely Adam Brooks. Okay. Uh, never mind. This is resolved. Uh, no, seriously, you need someone to play third line center. And so that's something that probably has to factor into your calculations of how you go about it. Right. Because Kerfoot is a. Uh, I feel like people are annoyed about Kerfoot for some reason. And it, it's, it goes down to, like, kind of a Leaf fans don't deserve good things, where it's like, <laughs> we, 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 we don't, we have, like, maybe two roster players, two forwards, who are legitimately, like, okay at defense. Mm-hmm. Nazem Kadri, like, sc- stole um, a puck off Connor McDavid once, and we're all, like, selkie, right there. Right? And we don't know what good defense looks like. Right? No, we we finally have a third-line center who is fine defensively. We still had Tyler Bozak there, who, who had his strengths, for sure, but, like, you know, Kerfoot is fine. His value is partially defensive. Mm-hmm. Just because he's not scoring and because he's, he's not getting, you know, top power play unit time uh, and his point totals are going to be low as a result, it, it doesn't mean that he's like a crappy player or something. Like, he's, he's fine. But if you want to get rid of him, yeah, you, you do need to replace him. And who you replace him with? Maybe Johan Larson. But then, you know, if you're... I, I guess there's, there's a couple things to this. This would be an easier decision to make if the Leafs had a really strong farm system with guys pushing to make the NHL. They don't. They, yeah. they spent, you know, the better part of two to three years drafting Mark Hunter's large adult sons. Who Here we are. <laughs> yeah, are, are not NHL players, right? <laughs> and have no trade value either. So, you know, that, that, that's on us. If you had, you know, a, a young center prospect... Maybe you could put them in that third line center role and say, okay, you know, we're going to trust the rest of this roster to insulate you. We don't have that at all, mm-hmm. right? We have a bunch of tweeners, fourth line, or fourth line-ish wingers, third, fourth line-ish wingers. We don't really have the centers. So, yeah, that becomes a problem. If you want to find someone else in free agency, it, it, you're also kind of running the risk of, you know, you can't just go to the store and pick up a good center necessarily, right? Like we mentioned Johan Narsen. Maybe Johan Narsen just doesn't want to come here for whatever reason. 
Yeah, I can think of several. And not to mention, anyone who's a name player at center is going to make money. The whole point of this transaction is to dispose of cap hits. So, if you're going to go and pursue this, you have to find an option that's really underrated. And again, you know, we've been talking about Larson being potentially underrated because he's one of those defensive centers who doesn't put up great point totals. But there are only so many of those guys that I believe could play third-line minutes and win them. And I'm sure I'm wrong about a lot of who could or could not, but, like, it's not a given to do that. Uh, things can get pretty dicey, as we may remember from the bad old days where the Leafs were constantly struggling to have any good centers. And so we saw things like David Steckel at 1C for a while. <laughs> you know, it... Uh, it's not a zero-risk proposition. So the, if we're going to go about this, the way I tend to favor doing it is trying to cut money in goal. Where you unload Freddie Anderson for, again, hopefully not much of a cap return. He might be especially appealing to a team like Ottawa, for example, who maybe wants to reach the cap floor at a financial discount. I don't know. Worth remembering that Freddie Anderson has a million owing and five million against the cap. But then you have to replace him with somebody. And I've looked at Corey Crawford, who has been a good goalie, but is 36. And this is the only reason he would be remotely affordable there. But you're saying, okay, maybe we can get one good season out of him. Or you have to find a goalie of the future that you're going to bring along, but who doesn't make a lot of money yet. So it's certainly not a perfect solution. And if you screw it up, it runs the risk of undermining the whole bet, even if you do get Petrangelo. So that's yeah, fun. yeah. It's like, <laughs> we, we've committed, you know, we're, it's like you, you buy this incredible Ferrari, you have it all souped up, everything's great, and then you put like, you know, rubber, or not rubber, uh, you put like plastic uh, Lego wheels on it. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I mean, it should work. These, these wheels are, look, they look fine, right? We've got, got a good bargain on them. Right? And there's like a 35% chance that the wheels just explode and destroy your car. Yeah. And it's a bit of a tricky proposition. And, you know, it probably kind of goes without saying. But also, if you're Alex Petrangelo looking at where to sign, maybe you talk to the Leafs and say, okay, what are your plans? Like, how are you going to make the math work? And you hear it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to unload our starting goalie and replace him with, you know, a guy who's 1,008 years old. Um, maybe that's a bit of a concern on your end, too. I don't know. And so, as much as I kind of favor it, because I'm not convinced you can buy that much certainty in net, and so perhaps it's worth trying to budget, uh, it's a risky proposition. And then, you know, you have the issues with trying to unload Pierre Engvall on somebody, which might be, I think, sneakily difficult. But that only frees you up, what, half a million? Yeah, so. something like that. Cause the thing people often forget is you have to replace these guys on the roster with, even if you do it with min salary guys, it's a, you, you take off 700k from their cap hit, effectively. So, yeah, Engvall makes 1.2 or something, 1.25. Mm -hmm. Replace so him with a min salary guy. 750 or something. But, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, this can be done, is something to emphasize. And it's annoying when people are just sort of like, oh, the Leafs can't afford it, or, like, through the cap it's like cap friendly has an armchair gm tool it takes three seconds to see that they could conceivably do this and unless it's going to be impossible to dump salary cap this offseason it's going to be hard but i don't think it's going to be impossible the leafs can pursue this the question is should they and is it worth the cost 
yeah, it, it forces a lot of difficult decisions. And I mean, it makes the Leafs, you know, the most top heavy roster I could possibly imagine. Yes, I can't the, think of one more so. Like the Leafs would have basically like eight players who I think are, are good. And then everyone else would be budget guys who may, who may still be good, but they're going to be very, 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 very cheap. And, you know, if you, if you were smart and are able to find those undervalued guys, um, then that's great. But I think people over- underestimate the difficulty of doing so, and especially underestimate the difficulty of those guys being consistent year to year. Everyone and their, and their brothers were screaming, hey, get Nick Shore. He's good. And, and Nick Shore, it seems like he's a fine NHL player. But for whatever reason, it, he just didn't have a great time in Toronto. And yeah. like it, it, you can make the good bets and they still just might not work out because... A certain you know, number of them will go wrong. Yeah, because you're, you're dealing with kind of fringy guys and minor changes in the fringy guy's situation or, or level or anything. Their teammates can have big effects. One of the great things about having stars is that they're pretty much always stars. Mm-hmm. Year to year. Like You can count on Tavares, you can count on Matthews, you can count on Marner and Nylander. Um, you know, Mo- Modulo Nylander is horrific. Um, uh, 2018-2019, which was largely shooting percentage driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Petrangelo's the same. Like He's been very, very consistently good for a, a very long time. Um, it's worth noting, his last year was, like at least by, by goals for replacement and whatnot, was one of his best. Mm-hmm. Maybe his best. Right? So, he might not repeat that again, right? After career best years, most people go down because it was a career best for a reason. Yeah. They don't um, tend to do better than that, <laughs> by definition. Yeah. So it's, it, it forces a lot of difficult problems that are not that easy to solve, in my opinion. Yes, I, I don't think it's a given by any means. And it's probably worth noting, if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I've mentioned, I think they're the gold standard franchise right now in terms of overall quality. And say you do what I just said. You have Petrangelo, you unload Janssen, you go from Anderson to Corey Crawford, for the sake of argument. Is the Leafs roster now as good as Tampa Bay? I would say no. Even after, Tampa's going to have to do some cap surgery this offseason once they get around to it. Um, obviously, they're a little busy right now. But it doesn't guarantee you anything. Tampa's roster hasn't guaranteed it's anything in the past years. You know, they had a, a humiliating opening round loss. But even so, <laughs> it's I wonder what that's extreme... like. Yeah. Can't even imagine that experience, but they still have guys like Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman and Yanni Gord and stuff like that. And Gord is probably overpaid, let's be honest, and they paid considerable assets uh, to get Blake Coleman. But they have excellent depth. Like, they have uh, waves of forwards that can come at you, which is how they've survived. Uh, Steven Stamkos being out for very nearly the entire playoffs. You know, how many teams can lose a first-line center and still be probably the best team in the NHL? Well, not many. Um, Actually won pretty well. (laughs) And so the Leafs won't get to that level just by doing this. I think they will get better. Like, I think if you make those changes next season, the Leafs are maybe credibly knocking on the door of that top five group. And maybe you say that's about what you can do to take our lesson from the Stanley Cup Finals is 
you get to the top table however you can. You do whatever you can to stay there, and then you hope for the best. But it's by no means a panacea, and it's so easy to see all the ways this could blow up. And I think it's probably worth noting all the ways it could just not work out without really blowing up. The least could be quite good after this. Maybe you win a round or two and, like, look in there as a contender, and it might not just might just not happen. You know, there are a lot of outcomes where this doesn't uh, get us the reward that we're hoping for, and that's just because it's hard to win a cup. And I think that's part of why people are leery of this, is because they know Petrangelo doesn't guarantee you anything, but he carries the possibility of painful risk. And for some people, that is enough to outweigh the fact that he's really, really good. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a, a lot going on there in terms of moving parts. But I guess it's worth noting maybe how is he going to age? Um, and obviously we don't know. Uh, but there's been some work done on this uh, by Dom Lashishan at The Athletic. And he looked at uh, various defenders who have aged into their 30s and he projected where they haven't gotten to age 38 yet. Or he used their data, if they have. Um, you know, Petrangelo, by this projection, is going to be an above-average defender for the life of the deal, is the expectation. And he'll be a very, very good one for the first three years. Um, that might be a little optimistic. Intuitively, it feels like it, because there are only so many 38-year-old defensemen in the NHL now. Um... If you see this and you buy it, it probably inclines you more to make the deal. And you can say, well, if I think that's a bit generous, if I just don't trust it, uh, you can be a bit leerier of making that kind of bet. And also you can just say, if this blows up, we might have wrecked the core and that might be it. Maybe right. Matthews gets frustrated with all the failure and walks in four years. And yeah, and I, I think... The one thing that has to be discussed with, with any roster move is what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. What is the Leafs' alternative right now? Um, they can try and make a godfather offer for another strong defenseman, perhaps one more suited to the Leafs' timeline, Aaron Ekblad. So kind of the obvious example. But, I mean, again, that's kind of venturing into win-a-trade territory. Right, you, you like you can do it. You can you, and you even if you, even with a fair trade, you can make both teams better, right? Just by addressing positional scarcity. Yeah, but I, I mean, Florida will quite rightly demand a ransom. Like I, I like the trade that gets Aaron Eckblad is probably Mitch Marner. Yeah, I, I, I don't think. I wonder, like, can you do it with Robertson and the first round pick and like another future first and someone else, right? Like, can can you trade? five quarters for um for yeah. a for a loony but i mean it's closer to five dimes for a loony isn't it yeah it, like as a rule i bet against any of those trades ever happening but you know i mean i guess we would sort of be counting on the financial pressures that florida is undergoing right now yeah uh greasing the wheels a bit but like it's it's a big lift is the bottom line um yeah so then they're giving up a lot of assets right so if we can't do that, then what's the other alternative? Well, 
you know, you can trade for those mid-tier guys in, in free agency, or not in free agency, mm-hmm. like on, on the market, right? Um, there's been a lot of articles where, you know, they just kind of go through every single team, like, okay, who, who's an option here? Damon Severson, maybe, I don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, do you have any names that come to mind? Brett Pesci is, yeah. uh, is one that we've discussed a lot of times. Uh, I'm not super interested in Matt Dumba as a player, just because he's kind of a shot-happy right defenseman, and my feelings on that are well-established to listeners of this pod, so I won't go into it. Uh, Pesci's interesting, actually, because yeah. this is something we were talking about a bit beforehand. Mm-hmm. Part of Petrangelo's value is power play-based, right? And in a sense, you're paying for that, right? You're paying for his entire package of skills, but that particular aspect of his package of skills is not something we necessarily need or care about that much, whereas, you know... So, so that in some sense, that's that's money wasted, right? Like, I, I doubt Petrangelo is so much better than Morgan Riley there that, you know, it makes a big difference to our roster. I'm skeptical about defensemen's ability to impact power plays in general. Um, like, at least on uh, for, for most of them. I'm sure some are especially good or especially bad, but I think, generally speaking, you have a lot of guys who are pretty decent at it and can do the job. And it, it's primarily your forwards and your setup that, that make the difference from there. Um, but then... You know, you look at someone like Brett Pesci, doesn't, basically doesn't play on the power play at all. Um, so if you're paying for him, you're not kind of wasting any money or assets paying for something that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so that could be interesting. But again, I, 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 don't think, I don't think Carolina is getting out of bed for, you know, Brett Pesci for Andreas Janssen and a first-round pick. No, they probably are not. And like Carolina wants to win now. And say what you want about Tom Dundon, but... He, he appears to genuinely want to win right now. Yeah, uh, and that's the impression I get. The only thing that I can think of, and you'll notice it's like it's not coincidental that we mentioned Carolina and Minnesota, because the expansion draft is kind of looming there. And you might think, okay, some teams are probably in the direction of thinking, okay, maybe it's time to trade our fourth best defenseman. Because of the nature of the expansion draft is... Uh, if you protect four defensemen, then you can only protect four forwards. And most teams have more than four forwards who they are going to want to keep or are obliged to keep. Uh, Minnesota definitely uh, has to unload Matt Dumba, I would think, because they've committed themselves to Spurgeon, Suter, and Brodeen with no movement clauses. And that's three defensemen right there. So... If you want to be optimistic about some of these defensemen kind of shaking loose, that's the the sort of thing that you look at. But again, these are are mid-level guys. I I do think that there's a valid point there where points get you paid, and especially power play points, and maybe the Leafs, if they ever want to move to being economically more efficient, which would be a nice thing if it ever happens, they should start pursuing guys who are very good at the other side of the game. Uh, whether you think Brett Pesci does that, I don't know. Um, and after all the out. kind of discussion we had about, or the, the, all the news in the media of like, oh yeah, it would take Nylander to get Brett Pesci. Like, I don't see them coming down off that. Mm. Right? Well, yeah. And, well, that's the thing. It's like, if they say no, you know, F off, we don't want to do this. Uh, the Rangers have done that with Alexander Georgiev, basically. They said, no, 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 we're not giving him up for anything like market value. And the result is that he hasn't moved. But if they're okay with that, you can't put a gun to their head. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, and so any single candidate may not be available. Part of the appeal of Pietro is that it's so easy to imagine how we get him, because it looks like he's leaving where he is, and we have money. Whereas all of these other trade candidates, there are so many moving parts in terms of team fit, in terms of desire of the general manager to unload one of these guys, that we don't know about and we can't guarantee. And we know Kyle Dubas has tried to acquire tons of players. Um or has at least been in discussions with players where it ultimately didn't work. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk, apparently we tried to sign out of free agency, actually. And he preferred to go to Tampa. Lord knows why he would prefer a place that's much warmer and has a much better chance of winning a cup and has lower state taxes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it, like it... All of those problems that we've kind of talked about through the fake offseason and now into the Leafs' real offseason... Uh, they're still there in terms of, is this team top table? Is this team in the top six teams in the NHL? And my answer to that has been no. And I'd like to get there to maximize our chance of the cup. So I'm in favor of trying to pursue Alexander Petrangelo, or Alex Petrangelo, because I don't see another obvious way to make that upgrade that I can predict is going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't know. Does does TJ Brody get you there as a as a UFA signing? No, it, it, <laughs> I don't want him. <laughs> it, to be fair, Brody had a had a good year. I I don't know. Yeah, I I was really down on him in years prior because it really seemed like he fell apart without Giordano. But mm-hmm. I guess upon looking at his profile more closely, there, there's something there to I'm sure. But yeah, it's you know a lot of ifs and maybes, and it's yeah not. As you said, it's not very easy to find the strategy with which the Leafs get better. Now, the other option is essentially kind of run it back, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the we've kind of presented this argument before, and I'm not sure how much I believe it, if, if, if at all, really. Well, I believe it a little bit, but, um, you know, under Keefe, you can say the Leafs, despite some pretty horrid injury luck, were a decent team. They got good shot results. Um, they had really bad goaltending. They had a lot of injuries. Nonetheless, they were, I think, in the top, in and around, you know, the top level of teams when it comes to expected goals percentage uh, under Keefe. Not not like the super elite like Vegas, um, but or, or Carolina for that matter. But, you know, in that next tier. And, and that's good enough. So, yeah, they were a good team and then, you know, got a bit screwed in the playoffs with bad shooting at the wrong time, um, an injury to Jake Muzzin, you know, losing him for the back three games of that series didn't help. All those sorts of things. You know, you can justify to some extent saying, hey, look, we're a good team. We're not necessarily a great team, but a good team, as we've just seen with Dallas, could be enough, mm-hmm. right? And certainly could be enough to get to the second round or, or do, do whatever, right? And critically, it's a situation where you don't have to make a mistake that, if it goes wrong, could undermine your next seven years. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I, I see the appeal of that. Because doing the status quo is, is easier than, than not. Um, and there, there are not... There, there are reasonable um, reasons to do that. Right? To think that. But it's hard to feel amazing about it. And it seems clear that Dubis doesn't agree because... I don't think he traded Kapanen for cap space 
to do nothing. No. I expect he's going to do something. I do not think that the defense next season is going to be, I don't know, uh, Riley Dermott, Muzzin Hall, Sandin Liljegren, or whatever, what have you, with Miko Lettinen in there somewhere. I think that there will be some kind of addition. The question is, what is it going to be, and what is it going to cost? And and even then, if, if you're getting another Justin Hall, right? Katya started this thing of just measuring defensemen by the amount of Justin Halls they are. So, like, Petrangelo is, like, you know, 2.5 Halls, mm-hmm. right? Hall, of course, is one Hall. Um, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, you pick up... Damon Severson, is, is he, like, maybe 1.2 halls or something? Like, you know, yeah. are, are you picking up just another guy who, who will help you? Having another Justin Hall would help, but it's not drastically changing the fortunes of our team, is it? No. And, you know, I, I like Justin Hall. I think that he is a, a good fifth defenseman who, if you put him with a better defenseman, can role play as a good second pair guy, which is what he has done mostly. But... Yeah, I mean, it's it just in terms of where I put them in the league. I don't really see any of these kind of mid-level tinkering little changes or just simple progression to the mean putting us ahead of Tampa Bay and Boston. Now, maybe Boston is about to finally get hit with aging decline. You know, I live forever in hope. It should have happened sooner. But the fact is that Right now, it looks like Boston-Tampa is the class of the Atlantic. And then there's us sitting in third like we have been for several years. And then, you know, if, if we add Severson or add Gogudis or whoever else, that doesn't mentally make me question the order. It doesn't make me think, okay, this team is probably going to walk to home ice in round one. Uh, you know, assuming that there is such a thing as home ice ever again. I just don't know that I see that kind of upgrade coming. Now, maybe you say, like, look, hold your fire. There's not a lot there that's a great option. Keep waiting for a good trade. Keep trying to draft well. You have a first again. Develop your assets. And to some extent, do what Tampa or Washington did by consistently being good um, and not risking it. But it, it does, it's a fear strategy, is what I think of it. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it is, I th- it's based on fear in terms of timidity to, to risk it all and go in. And I guess that's why it's not super appealing to me after I watched the Leafs kind of peter out against Columbus. I think, I think it's, I don't know, I think characterizing it as being based on fear is a, is a little uncharitable to it. I, th- I think it's based on yeah. caution as opposed to fear. And I think there's a subtle difference between yeah. Okay, I'll say fear in the very loose sense, where you're worried about the downsides. It can make sense to be afraid of the downsides, because they're potentially pretty bad. I don't mean that it's stupid. I mean just that it's... It is... It's risk-averse, is what I'm saying. And I totally understand that. And I get why people are saying, look, we have a lot to recommend us here. Let's be a little patient for once in our lives. But at the same time, I feel like this team is on an accelerated timeline, partly because of John Tavares and partly because you don't get that many chances where you're good with an avenue to great. You know, like who knows what's going to happen in terms of declines and injuries and whatever else. So I guess, you know, 
if I, if I say the other things like kind of a fear strategy, I would say also you can argue that this is an impatient strategy, but like, I, I guess I just, I want to see more progress than I've seen. And notwithstanding six great weeks under Sheldon Keefe, I don't think that it's been there. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's worth saying, you know, when you, when, when you look at, you know, a short period of time, you know, it, the Keefe era is however many games, maybe, what, 45 games? Mm-hmm. It's, that's not a lot, right? It, it, it's really not. And it's, it's 45 games where the Leafs were good, for sure, uh, in terms of generating chances and whatnot, but there were still very obvious flaws that got taken advantage of, right? There, there's still certainly a possibility that... Um, XG was overrating them because of how they tried to monopolize zone time and a lot of the shots coming against the other way were, were rush chances and maybe you think those aren't adequately accounted for. There's still kind of something to point out about, hey, is our power play actually going to be the league-leading power play that it could and should be? We we just hired Paul McFarland, who was... Uh, Paul McFarland, rather. <laughs> no, Paul McLean. McLean. Sorry. We're replacing McFarland, too. Sorry. We, we yes. get too many of these guys, frankly. Yeah. So we hired Paul McLean, who I believe was on Columbus's um, uh, bench. And, I mean, if, he, if he's responsible for Columbus's, you know, really tight defense, great. If he's responsible for Columbus's power play, God, that I, I'm, I will be really upset. Well, apparently McLean is going to be the eye in the sky role, right? So he's going to report what he sees. But my understanding is that with Columbus, he did have some involvement with their power play, which was... Um, mm. Columbus's power play was the equivalent of being put under general anesthetic. So Columbus's power play was like, you look at the numbers and you're like, wow, that's a, it's a really, uh, you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, well, you know, they're taking a lot of shots from, from the right circle. Yeah. Um, and those aren't rated very highly, but maybe they're generating, you know, maybe they're generating them in a smart way. And then you watch them and you're like, oh no, they're not. <laughs> these, 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 are, these are just Oliver Bjorkstrand clappers from like 75 feet away with yeah. no setup. So, eh, but, um, yeah, so I don't know about all that in terms of improvement, but, like, the Leafs have no excuse to have a bad power play. I do believe that. There's too much talent on the roster that obviously can work together. And I know that we got impatient with Jim Hiller uh, at the end of his Babcock tenure, but, like, he built a very good power play for a long stretch that went cold for a couple months. I, I think that maybe we've overthought it at times and we should kind of just stick to what has worked in the past, but what do I know? It, it seems like this year they really fell in love with the Matthews one-timer, and that's a great weapon, but it's one. And a good power play, especially for the Leafs, can and should have more. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But that's part, of, yeah, to, to bring it back around, that's part of your team quality. Like, we should be counting on that as a strength. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's the it's just tricky because we don't know how the Leafs are going to get better, right? Yeah. And P- Petrangelo is a very risky way to get better, and like it's a desperation move in many ways from Kyle Dubas because it <laughs> he's not going to be around for year seven if it goes bad. <laughs> he doesn't give no. a fuck about year seven. A- right? And you know, if he does that, this he may well be thinking, okay, I have only so many more kicks at this can before I get fired. So, 
Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an all-in maneuver. And I do genuinely understand people who are saying, I do not want to go all-in like this on a guy who's going to be 31 by the start of next season. That's the, the simplest argument boiled down, is that you're risking an awful lot on a guy who is quite good, but who would need to really beat the aging curve um, for this to work out really well, or at least to match the, uh, the optimistic aging curve we were talking about. I, you know, I totally understand why someone won't do that. So, yeah, I feel a little bad having used the phrase fear strategy because I'm not trying to drag on it. You have good things to be afraid of. Um, just, yeah, uh, it, it's a scary prospect. But I would say ultimately I would try to do this, I guess is my, my bottom line. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's understandable. Um, I lean towards not doing it. I, I guess... I don't know. I, I'd like to see... I'd like to believe in the good play that we did see, right? And I guess give the team a chance. And that's not to say, you know, oh, you change nothing. You try and improve the defense, of course. And, you know, if you if that requires trading someone else... Um, if that requires trading Johnson and Kerfoot anyways, or whatever, swapping Anderson for goalie who makes less anyways, sure, that's fine. Um, but I don't want to completely jeopardize everything just yet. Yeah, and, you know, it's entirely possible that Petrangelo goes somewhere else, or we don't make a serious bid on him, or whatever happens, and we come back next year with modest improvements, and we find that the Sheldon Keefe Leafs were mostly real and they are a better team now than was expected i can't rule that out um i don't know that i buy it but you never know so yeah th th there's a, a lot to uh, to keep an eye on there mm -hmm. and I, we would expect that with free agency obviously soon approaching in the draft yeah we're soon gonna see what he actually does yeah very soon um so that, that'll, that'll be exciting we'll have a lot of stuff to to talk about at least um who knows how it, it's going to turn out it's going to be it, this next season is going to be such a crazy season just for so many reasons yeah uh i i have no idea what the plan is the bubbles were apparently quite expensive <laughs> um to, to operate and so i don't know if they're financially worthwhile but the league probably has to do something it's worth saying that like we were really skeptical of the bubbles we, we thought for sure someone's going to get a positive test and it's going to go wild and they proved us wrong because there wasn't a single positive test. So, like, they genuinely did a very, very good job with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was wondering about, like, their ability to maintain that kind of safe standard and barrier and everything like that. I I wrote an article where I tried to work through whether I could feel morally okay watching these games, knowing the risk. And, you know, credit where it's due, the league seems to have pulled it off. Uh, next season is going to be tougher, for sure. And yeah, the bubbles it's... are going to be, if they have them, I'm, I mean, do you run them longer? I don't think most players would go for that. It's it's a long time to be apart from your family. It really is. And it can you even, unless you do a thing where you're you're in, a, in the bubble for a month, right? Mm -hmm. And they do like a kind of rotating thing. You're in the bubble for a month and you're off for like two weeks. 
Yeah, right? it, like you, you would have to do something. But then, you know, you need quarantine periods coming back in, right? So Yeah, and it's, it, that, it's that's dicey. such a brutal ask on the players. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to what they're going to come to. Already the players are apparently forming another return to play committee to discuss this with the league and look at their options. I'm sure it'll be a moving target. Yeah. They're probably still hoping for a vaccine, as are we all in time to maybe make this viable and to get fans in, which is what the NHL really wants. But, yeah, it, it'll be something to behold. Well, you know? I mean, if a vaccine was created tomorrow, I'm not sure even then. It, like, There's a lot of things that have to happen. Like, let's say, magically, a vaccine tomorrow is approved, mm-hmm. right? They have to manufacture hundreds of millions of doses. Yes. Right. Um, so uh, both Canada and the U.S. have secured agreements with various, you know, um, pharmaceutical or medical companies to, uh, you know, get doses of these vaccines. But it takes some time to produce them. Mm-hmm. And then they have to see, OK, how do we administer these? Right. Um, and how how are we going to roll that out? Are, are we going to and some of these vaccines require multiple doses? Right. So depending on the type of vaccine that ultimately does get approval, um, you know, that changes the rollout strategy, that changes safety from it. So if a vaccine came out tomorrow, it would still take months to sort all this stuff out. Yeah. And then and then you have the anti-vaxxers. <laughs> oh, God help us all. Yeah, and so, I mean, the way that this is going to play out in society at large is definitely beyond my capacity to predict. And so all we can say is that there are a lot of things in the air, but the next season probably still won't look normal. It certainly won't be timed like normal in terms of when it starts and stops. So, yeah, I mean, how those things will affect, we'll, we'll see. Uh, thus far, we've kept doing this podcast, and so there's no reason for us to stop now. <laughs> yeah. So, might as well roll with it. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yep. All right, so I think that's just about everything we wanted to cover. Um, cool, so you can find... All of our work at pensionplanpuppets.com. There's actually been a ton of articles about Petrangelo, which is where a lot of my research about this has come in, uh, has come from. So uh, basically none of it has been contributed by us. It's It's been, you know, everyone else, Katya, Hardev, uh, work is Bri- hard, Briggs do. You know? Yeah, they, they've all done like some it. really uh, great articles about it. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing others as well. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT And yeah, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you soon.